Charlie from Red Blue Talk here. I talk about how politics and government impact people's lives. Please like and subscribe. On Tuesday, June 25th, 2019, there's going to be a Democratic primary for mayor in Mount Vernon, New York. The candidates are incumbent Mayor Richard Thomas, City Council President Andre Wallace, Yonkers YMCA President and CEO Sean Patterson Howard, and Mount Vernon's former police commissioner, Clyde Isley. I reached out to all four to join me for one-on-one conversations, and each of them scheduled interviews except for Mr. Wallace. Links to the podcasts and videos are at redbluetalk.com. Let's jump in. Sean Patterson Howard. Good morning. uh, Good morning. My first recollection of you um, was in about, I think it was 2004, at a board of education meeting. And uh, I was there taking notes, doing my blogging thing, and uh, you came in, and my impression of you was PTA mom. Yes. Um, You were there to talk about a specific issue at the Franco Middle School at the time. Oh, wow, yes. (laughs) Right? Have I got the time frame about right? Probably, yeah, Yeah. maybe a little before 2004. And why I'm able to remember it was because you you had a specific mission that evening that I met you for the first time, which was there was a problem with supplies in the bathrooms. Yes. And you were going to fix it. And I seem to recall you came in with a video recording. Yes, I did. (laughs) So for a lot of people, that experience of being a PTA mom or an involved parent in some way is their first connection to local politics. You know, marching into a Board of Education meeting takes some guts. So what, tell me how that informs your decision to run for mayor. Is there a linkage? Were you thinking about it back then? Was it on your mind? Well, I've ever I've never thought about running for office. People have asked me for a long time. Um, I became an activist in high school. I think my first piece of activism was in 11th grade uh, when there was a teacher strike at Mount Vernon High School. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Marlene Dandridge and Clinton Young were on the board. And as an 11th grader scheduled to take the English Regents that year, I had a substitute teacher for about a month, and we played hangman and thumbs up and different games in class. Mm -hmm. Uh, And everyone kept saying, oh, don't worry, everything's gonna be fine. If we do a teacher strike, we'll be able to get enough substitutes. There wasn't a teacher strike at that moment, and I didn't have a qualified substitute. And understanding that taking my regents was gonna be important and help move my life forward and my college education, uh, myself and a few of my friends went to the board meeting and let the Board of Education know you're absolutely wrong. You don't have sufficient substitutes now. And so if our teachers go out on strike, the school system is going to crumble. And as a student, uh, I thought it was my duty to advocate on behalf of myself and my fellow students and speak truth to power. Oftentimes, people in decision-making positions feel they know what's best, but they don't listen to the people that it impacts the most. And so I think that's the first time I ever really spoke out publicly. But then you carried it into your grown-up life. Absolutely. Right? And it takes on different forms at different stages of the game, right? So mm-hmm. when, you, when, you know, when your daughter was almost the same age um, and there was something going on that maybe kids couldn't resolve for themselves, you were there to kind of step in. Yes. Um, you were not a novice. You'd been to Board of Education meetings, obviously, years earlier. Um, how does that, you know, now you're going to be there. You're going to be on the other side of that microphone. You're going to be on the other side of that public 
um, in t- at times it'll be a conflict. Yes. Um, how do you how do you reconcile that? And 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 really, my broader question is conflict. And you mentioned you know there was a labor dispute there that was one of your very first experiences. Yes. Conflict is is an even bigger issue than ever in Mount Vernon. And it seems like conflict is how Mount Vernon governs right now. So you're going to have opposing interest groups. You're mm-hmm. going to have people on both sides of a whole variety of complex, you know, gnarly issues, for lack of a better term. Um, how do you resolve conflict? You, 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 you know, if you go back to that 12th grader who wanted a substitute teacher, you found a resolution. Mm-hmm. How do you find, how do you steer through 2019 Mount Vernon's conflicts? So the one thing I've known over my life is that conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. And the only way to resolve conflict is through communication, compromise, and consensus building. You have to develop relationships with the people who you're doing business with, with those who are sitting around the table. And then when you look at that table, you have to look at who's not sitting at the table that needs to be there and who's going to be impacted by your decisions and bring them there. And so that's what I've done throughout my life is really sit down with people and look at what the issues are. I don't focus on the personalities, but I look at what the issues are, and I try and figure out what's the with them, what's in it for you, what's in it for me, and why are we sitting at the table. And then once you understand what people need, how can you make sure that we solve the issue, we focus on the problem, and that people feel included uh, in the solution but because that's critical. But you're but you're speaking the language of negotiation and conciliation, uh, and what I'm asking you is, there's we're we're on a different layer here. There's mm-hmm. real conflict. There's real conflict. I can't win unless you lose. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going on mm-hmm. here. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm talking, in, and I know I know you have a social worker background. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that there are some cultural norms here right now that are toxic. They are toxic. Okay. And what happens when the toxic cultural norms are more influential than the institutional policies? What do you do when somebody stands up at a public meeting mm-hmm. um, and, and spews hate? Mm-hmm. It could be anything from hate speech to I hate you to uh, I hate this policy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard to mediate and conciliate. So where does that, what brings it together, Sean? Well, people in Mount Vernon are asking for change. And cultural shifts and changing cultural norms is something that I've had to do over my life. Whether it's working with Cure Violence and the SNUG program and changing the culture on the streets in Mount Vernon and Yonkers, where we went from, you know, 27 shootings in 22 days to no shootings in 37 months. Why? Because we went out on the streets, we talked to the people, we helped them to understand we have to change the culture. This is not going to continue to work. Um, Whether it's dying on the street, which was their issue, or whether it's our community dying in Mount Vernon, which is what we're dealing with today. Right, I gather, this community's dying, and we cannot continue to double down on our opinions and our our agendas at the expense of the community. Mount Vernon residents are tired of it. I'm tired of it, and that's why I chose to run. 
So let me lean back on your social worker experience. I gather mm-hmm. that you have some uh, particular depth in um, gang activity and how to, 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 to work with um, gang presence in a community. In one of the Sundays with Sean programs, which I, I watched several of them, excellent Thank you. Excellent presentations. Thank you. You referred to political gangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to explain what you meant by that. Who's in these political gangs, and how do you negotiate with political gangs? Well, I mean, you know, when I talked about political gangs, uh, people say, "Well, I'm in this camp, and I'm in this camp, and I'm in this camp." So if I'm in the Howard camp, or the Isley camp, or the Wallace camp, or the Thomas camp. Uh, it got to a point, or or the Davis camp, the Farkasen camp, it got to a point where if you went to lunch in Mount Vernon, and this is before I was a candidate, if you went to lunch with someone, or you liked someone's Facebook status, or you were seen taking a picture with someone, people questioned, why are you taking a picture with them? Why are you being friendly with them? Don't you know that they're in so-and-so's camp? And I didn't understand that. That's the same type of divisiveness we've heard, oh, you know, this is your neighborhood, you got to stay out of this zone. You can't comfortably move from Levester to Centennial to Ebony Gardens to the plaza and move with people in those neighborhoods because they're not part of your crew. And that's the type of mentality that we have developed here in Mount Vernon. That's the type of mentality that has divided our community. And that's the type of mentality that has to stop. It has to stop. So how do you stop it? Well, and that's kind of an oversimplified question, not just how do you stop it, but how do you, as mayor, kind of shift gears from the noise of the campaign, which is basically what you're describing, Mm -hmm. into governing? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, you have to lead by example. And that's one of the things that I focused on. I mean, after the the debate, uh, and after the Lohud article came out about how much I raised or how well I did, mm-hmm. there were just attacks and attacks and attacks on Facebook, fake Facebook pages, um, real Facebook pages with people in other political camps who were just going and tearing at my credibility and tearing at my character. I chose not to defend myself by going back and forth. And I've even asked those who support me politically, don't go back and forth with people on Facebook. It's not always easy because some people are are really rah-rah and they'll fight with other people. Mm-hmm. But I've chosen not to do that. I've chosen to follow a different standard of excellence. And I've been focused on the issues. I've been focused on the policies. I've been focused on the change. And that's something that we don't do. So what has that gotten us in Mount Vernon? It's gotten us with 50 years of no comprehensive plan. It's gotten us with not having a capital projects review board for the past 10 years. We've always focused on the drama, the issue of the day, and the crisis of the week or month, and not on the issues and the planning for the city. Facebook's not going to go away. No, it's it's not. It's going to be there in January if you're fortunate enough to get elected and inaugurated. It'll still be there. And and some of those same voices will still be there and Mm. maybe a bunch of new ones. Mm -hmm. I have two things. One, um, do you think that Facebook is perhaps exaggerating the depths of the conflict because I look at those same things that you do and Mm -hmm. I'm seeing, you know, it's 50 people. It's not... 7,000 people. Right. Um, that's one. Uh, and then the question becomes, how do you stitch, uh, you know, a way through that so that this, the conflict resolution becomes 
even possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you how do you hold down the noise? I mean, it, social media and specifically Facebook is a big problem. Well, Facebook amplifies the issue. Facebook is like a magnifying glass um, that just really blows the issue up. There are so many people when, I mean, not just Facebook. There are people, as I've gone around and collected signatures and canvassed, there are a lot of people that have no idea what's happening on Facebook. They don't even watch the news. And so they live in a different Mount Vernon because they're just focused on living their daily life. People have a lot of issues. People are trying to pay their rent. They're trying to feed their children. They're trying to educate their children. Mm -hmm. They're trying to focus on their jobs. So not everyone is sitting on Facebook all day paying attention to the drama of the moment. Um, So one of the things that I found that I had to do, there was just some people that I had to eventually block on Facebook. And my timeline became very different and it allowed my focus to become very different. Now as mayor, I can't block people out and I won't block people out, but I have to understand, you know, some people get caught in the political weeds. And when you get caught in political weeds, they choke you Mm. and they suffocate you. If you constantly surround yourself and keep yourself limited to this echo chamber, then you only hear the voices of a few and you don't hear the voices of many. And so I've had to constantly shift to make sure that I pull myself out of the depth of the arguing and hear the larger Mount Vernon. If Mm -hmm. this interview is four years from now, Mm -hmm. which would be uh, June of 2023, what do you boast about as having accomplished? What I boast about as having accomplished is focusing on the issues. If you are focusing on solutions and fixing the problems and bringing resolution to some of the challenges that the community has, if we're fixing our streets and our sewers, if we're working with the school district to improve our school system, if we are strengthening our police department and our fire department, if DPW is able to pick up garbage, if news is not coming out of City Hall every week about photocopy machines, if snow is being removed, Mm -hmm. um, if we are building housing for affordable housing, middle-income housing, market rate and luxury housing, if we're expanding our business and our tax base Mm -hmm. so that the homeowners don't feel overburdened, and if uh, people are receiving responsive, if the government is responsive to the needs of the people, Mm then we're going to see a very, very different Mount Vernon. We need a win. Right. We absolutely need a win. So whether Memorial Field is going to fix Mount Vernon or not, Mount Vernonites need a win. And for so many of that, Memorial Field has become a symbol of what is broken about the community. And so they need to see something fixed and believe that our community can move forward. So what you're saying is that there's great symbolic value in just the, the, the grass-growing and a track rising up at, at the corner of uh, Sanford Boulevard. And Garden Avenue, yes. Okay. So, so, but many of the other things that you talked about mm-hmm. are foundational city management kinds of issues. Yes. And that requires that the financial house be in order. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to, I'll come back to that in a second, but I want to detour through um, the, the campaign financial ecosystem yes. itself, which is not insignificant. Election campaigns are like, they're like little economies unto themselves. Money goes in, money goes out. Um, when I look at your campaign disclosures, well, first of all, congratulations, because you've outraised the guys. Thank you. Um, by a significant margin. Um, but I do see um, in, in your disclosures and, and, and the others, 
uh, significant contributions coming from within and outside of Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in your particular case, uh, you've got you've got 13 individual contributors who each gave you over a thousand dollars. Ten of them were mm -hmm. from outside of Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. uh, benchmark title, twelve hundred and fifty dollars. White Plains, New York, all title company, mm -hmm. fourteen hundred dollars. What? Couple questions come in here. What? And there's some individuals and family members who gave me over a thousand dollars. Yes. You, you've, you, well, you've got dozens of individual contributions mm -hmm. that are less than a thousand dollars. You got pages and pages of them. So you've been very successful. Um, and it, it, you know, rent costs money, and signs cost money, mm -hmm. and there's you know, advertising costs money. Facebook advertising costs money. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suggesting in any way that there shouldn't be money in campaigns. The question is. What do I get if I write a $1,400 check to Sean Patterson Howard? You get the promise that I'm going to create systems that allow you to do business in Mount Vernon. Um, right now, people are saying when we walk into City Hall, well, first of all, when we call City Hall, we don't get a phone answered. When we walk into City Hall, we're moved from office to office to office. Sean is a systems-level leader, and I've proven that in my last 20 years of work as an administrator. And so people know my work, and they know when they walk into an organization that I'm running that if they come in, they get service, they get consistent service, and it's clear what they need to do to do business with the organization. But should I have to write a check to get that? No, you shouldn't have to write a check to get that. Right. That people are just investing in Mount Vernon. People are investing in my leadership. They're investing in my transparency. They're investing in my credibility. They're investing in, in my leadership. Here's where I'm going. There's mm -hmm. a lot of money sloshing through these campaigns. Absolutely. All of them. Absolutely. And, and uh, there's been lots and lots of talk mm -hmm. about the giant elephant in the room, Joe Spezio. Mm -hmm. and, and here's what I would say. I don't want to talk at all about the, those entanglements, those mm -hmm. lawsuits, but whatever power Joe Spezio has in Mount mm -hmm. Vernon, mm -hmm. he did not derive that with a tank and a gun. Mm -hmm. He derived it with contributions. A lot of under-the-table, massive contributions that people have spoken and, about. And, and above the table. Right, but so, if you so look at my, is, if you look what, at my, what's the influence? And it, 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 the influence the, yeah. is absolutely nothing. I have promised no one anything. Even people who are working on my campaign, I have not made a, a job promise, a position promise, a commissioner promise, a development deal, anything. People have said, "Oh well, Kenny Plummer works with a lot of development people. What are you promising him? Nothing. I pay him rent to rent space in his office. I'm not promising anyone anything." And why not? Because I don't want to walk into City Hall bound. I worked in an administration that was bound to promises, right. and I know what that looks like. And I refuse to do that. I'm not going to sell out myself, and more importantly, I'm not going to sell out Mount Vernon. And I've done that. People have made donations to the Y over the years. And what have I promised them? Nothing. I've had to raise money for organizations that I've run, and I've never sold out those organizations, nor have I compromised my moral compass to get donations. And I'm not going to do it now. Would you support public financing for election campaigns? That's a big issue in Albany right now. I mean, public financing would be great. Is it going to happen? I just don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, I do support funding limits as well, though, because that's important. Because if someone buys you, um, that's that's a challenge. I'm not right. going to be bought. So you alluded to um, a whole bunch of you alluded to a whole bunch of um, 
foundational city management issues mm -hmm. that need to be addressed. Yes. Uh, I, I, you had a long list. I don't remember all of them, but it was potholes and mm -hmm. uh, street lights and the kind of things that people encounter on a day-to-day -day basis and how you know, government really faces their own life. Mm -hmm. uh, for that to be successful, the financial house of, the, of Mount Vernon itself has to be in order. So there's a thing called See Through New York. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's a nonpartisan Albany think tank, and they publish a lot of public information, and they munge through all that data. And one thing I've noticed about Mount Vernon from See Through New York is there's been a really sharp uptick in the cost of labor in Mount Vernon over the past four years. So this is spending on labor. 2015, the total payroll was $48.5 million. 2018, the total payroll was 55.8 million. Mm -hmm. So if you say there was a 10% contractual increase over those three years, which is approximate, it's a, it's a swag. Let's say contract raises got you 10% over those three years. Even allowing for that, the city is spending $2.5 million more per year on labor mm -hmm. than it was three years ago. It's very, very clear. It's overtime pay. It's absolutely it's overtime, overtime pay. pay. You mentioned it's, the police it's department. It's overtime pay. Right. It's almost pay to play. So, you know, you're worrying about contractors and developers and, and people donating to the campaign and how that might influence leadership. You really need to look at the way overtime is just doled out irresponsibly in Mount Vernon. First of all, if we hired at the levels that we need to hire at, we wouldn't have to have so much overtime. But then we also know sometimes that overtime is used as a way to get people's loyalty. Overtime is used as a way to continue to um, garner favor uh, with, with the staff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes overtime just happens because no one is watching the store. So here's a statistic about the store. The highest paid individual in the city of Mount Vernon in 2015 mm -hmm. received $154,000. Mm -hmm. The highest paid individual in 2018, $248,000. It's ridiculous. So you know what the next question is. Mm -hmm. How do you get it under control? How do you get it under control? Well, first of all, we need to have an HR department. We need to have an HR department that is very clear about hiring, monitoring, evaluating staff. Our HR department and, well, I mean, forget just the HR department. We have to hire commissioners, hire, not appoint. When I think of appointing, I think of people appointing far too often their friends and their political cronies. Mm -hmm. When I say hire, I'm looking at vetting professionals, not just subject matter, matter experts, but professionals who understand budgeting, who understand hiring practices, who understand quality assurance and setting expectations, evaluating staff, monitoring spending. And clearly, our commissioners are not monitoring the spending of their staff. They're not monitoring the spending of their departments. They're not working with the controller's office. Well, they're monitoring it. They're monitoring it. They're, they're just they're, allowing They're not distributing it. it in an equitable way. I don't even know if they're monitoring it. I don't know if you're, you're really monitoring it because if you are monitoring it, there's no way that you're going to allow overtime for the top person in the city to jump by almost 100,000. You said it was 158,000. It went from 154 to 248 for to the highest paid individual. That's, that's ridiculous. That's a $100,000 increase. What type of work is that individual doing for that level of pay? 
well, and why I can is answer, it not I, I can being distributed? Because I don't know who that person is. Well, I can answer that question because all of those answers are available on See Through New York. Mm -hmm. um, what I will say for the sake of this conversation is a lot of it is police. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> people will say, oh, well, because of public safety, we have to just spend, spend, spend. That's not true. You have to have a responsible leader in the public safety department. And we don't necessarily have that. We have not had that in a long time. In Mount Vernon, the mayor has interfered with police and a lot of other departments too much. When you hire an executive, you have to allow them to do their job. You have to expect them to do their job. And we, there's just been too many politics. There's been too many politics. In the police department, you have you know, Joe Spezio, who was the deputy police commissioner there. And even though he's been fired, he still has a lot of say-so. He still has an email. And he's still involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the police department, which just baffles me. And so you, you have different individuals that they're giving out overtime to. You have people who have become the mayor's um, public safety enforcers. They're not policing. They're moving and operating more like enforcers and enforcing political will whether it's cupcake cutie and standing outside and and making sure no one went into the store or it's making sure that no one interfered with the bubble after they tore it down right. or or you have people walking around the mayor has an entourage of public safety before you had one person a driver that you walked around with now he has two or three different police officers who are moving with him on a daily basis at all time this is wasteful spending if you have those type of threats against you then we need to look at another solution but a lot of this is wasteful spending so sean patterson howard you are asking for an unbelievably draining and demanding job <laughs> um we've touched on a couple of the reasons why okay. how do you prepare yourself emotionally for being mayor well, I'm a woman of faith, so first and foremost, I pray, and, and that is a deep foundation for me. Uh, the second thing is I study, I educate myself on the issues so that I can be knowledgeable. I'm a very much a strategic thinker. Uh, I surround myself with people of varying opinions. I don't surround myself with yes people. I don't surround myself with people who agree with me. I surround myself with people who will challenge me. I mean, like, not just challenge me, but we, we have arguments, even my campaign team. We have arguments because I want to hear different opinions. I don't just want yes people around me. I fire yes people because what happens when you surround yourself with yes people and people who just bend to your will, they're the same people that after you go out there and you do something wrong, they'll say, I told you so, or I would have said it, but you didn't listen. I don't want those type of people around me. I want those pe I want people around me who are going to say, I don't agree with you. This is why I don't agree with you. Let's look at it this way. Mm -hmm. We have to have a diversity of thought and approach and opinions at the decision-making table. Could you fire a friend? Absolutely. And I usually don't even hire friends. I think over... I've been able, I've really hired people for the, about the past 20 some odd, about 22 years. And I think over that period, I've hired two people who were my friends outside of work. Have you ever hired a relative? Have I ever hired a relative? No, I've never hired a relative. Would you hire a relative? I'm not interested in hiring my relatives, no. 
No. I wouldn't hire my relatives either. I mean, look, this it this comes back. <laughs> some of it comes back from even being a Girl Scout troop mom. Uh, I was in my daughter's Girl Scout troop. I became a troop mom and a helper. Mm-hmm. But then when they asked me to become a troop leader, I made sure that my daughter wasn't in my troop. Why? Because people automatically expect that you're going to treat your family and your friends or your relatives better than you would treat everyone else. Yeah. And what you usually end up doing is you treat them more harshly. And, and you hold them to a higher and sometimes almost unreasonable standard. So I would just rather not do that. I would rather not do that. As the CEO of, of the YMCA for years, um, I, I didn't give my mother a discount. Why did I not give my mother a discount? Because everyone was looking. Was and she entitled to a discount? Was she entitled? She was entitled to the senior citizen's rate, and so she got the senior citizen's rate like any other senior citizen. Got it. But she didn't get a half-price discount. My sister, when I was the executive director of the Mount Vernon YMCA, my niece came there, and I let the child care director fill out her application, look at her income, and whatever scholarship she got was based on the chart. It was not based on her being my sister. I always have to separate separate myself because if I don't hold myself to a certain standard, then I can't hold my employees to a standard. And that's important. That's important. You cannot hold people to a standard that you're not willing to hold yourself to. And so for me, that's something that has been a hallmark of my career is standards. So June 25th. June 25th. What should everybody do? Well, on June 25th, everyone should, you know, vote row 6A. 6A, that's the line that I'm going to be on. I I really need your support. Um, I'm focused. As they say, I'm locked and loaded. I'm ready to go. I want to focus on the issues, the policies, and the solutions, not on the personalities and the drama. We'll have to deal with drama. All right, then. Sean Patterson Howard, thank you very much. Thank you. This was a great interview and an interesting conversation. Great. All right.